So we live in this church culture, if you will, here in the South. And, and, and many of us have had affiliation with church over the years and God-style stuff over the years. Now, how would you answer this? If a person came to you and said, who is Jesus Christ? How, how would you answer that? If a person came and said, hey, hey, why did Jesus become flesh? Why did God house himself in flesh in the person of Jesus? What was the whole purpose of him coming? How would you answer that? Why did Jesus die a criminal's death on the cross? What, what, what would you say? After being buried and on the third day, why did Jesus raise from the dead? Who is he? Why did he come? What did he do? What was the purpose behind the revelation of Yeshua? What would you say? Now, A.W. Tozer, knowledge of the holy, the pursuit of God and all the stuff he's written, makes this observation. How tragic, how tragic that we in this dark day have our seeking done for us by our teachers. How tragic in this dark day as we contemplate this powerful name of Jesus and the person of Jesus that we've reclined to have our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ, a term incidentally not even found in the Bible. And we are not expected to crave any further revelation of God to our souls we have been snared in the coils of bogus logic, which insists that if we found him, then we do not need to seek him anymore. The fallacy of reasoning in the southern church, but yet the global church oftentimes is, all you have to do is accept Christ. Yet a phrase that does not appear in the scripture the word accept is a very passive word. The word accept at best means to just make room for. Hey, we got a new chair. We need to make room for it. Now, Jesus didn't come to take part. He came to take over. He didn't come to be a resident. He came to be chief president. And the message of Jesus was follow me. So the premise statement, the premise statement that I want to build on today is this. We're called to follow Christ not accept him. The heart cry of Jesus to the disciples of his day and to us today is follow me. Following requires leaving the past and that old behind and pressing in to the, the new. Paul would capture it in Philippians 3. It's laying down your life. It's choosing to die to you. It's choosing to Slay the self-centeredness. It's choosing to say, my life has been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I that lives, but it's now Christ that lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. That is the call of Yeshua Jesus. Now, did you know, even in the terminology that we hear oftentimes, people say, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Do you know the word Savior only appears 244 times from Genesis all the way to Revelation? 
The word Savior implies to be delivered from and delivered to Savior. I've accepted him as my Savior, except as an appear. Savior is never emphasized. Even when Peter writes the book or is recorded by Luke in the book of Acts, the, the, the word Peter uses repeatedly in the 44 times is the word Lord. He only uses Savior twice. Lord means master, ruler, authority, controller. The word Lord appears 23,934 times in the scripture. Jesus never says, come and accept me. He always said, come and follow me. That's what I want to unpackage with you today is we talk about walking in the dust with Rabbi Jesus, following in his dust. What does that mean? And what does it mean to say that I am a follower of Jesus? Now you need to strap it on because it's going to be good. Tighten the seatbelts. Ready? Here we go. So Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. The scripture says that Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying... The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled, much like even in Matthew and Luke where it says, he walked in, he took the scroll and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel. This is the favorable year of the Lord. He starts preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. And listen to what he said. Repent and believe in the gospel. He didn't say, accept me. He didn't say, walk an aisle. He didn't say, just get into a tank of water and fill out a membership card. He said, repent, which emphasizes change the way you think. Change the way you do life, which means unplug from religion, Judaism, legalism, unplug from these less wild lovers and believe. Plug into me. Believe means to be persuaded to action. You got it? This is the gospel according to Jesus that he preached. Repent. Turn away from that. Now believe. Be persuaded to action. Move into this relationship with me. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's a cool phrase. We'll get back to that. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me. We'll get there. Immediately, they left their nets and began to follow him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who were also in a boat mending nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went away to follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Now, Jesus was raised in Galilee. We know he was born in Bethlehem. The word bet, B-E-T, will show up many times in our study today. But that term bet means house of. Bethlehem means house of bread. So the bread of life came out of Breadville. So we know he was born in Bethlehem. But he was raised and spent the majority of his life in Galilee. Now, the culture in Galilee had a very strict educational system. 
And the Jews in Galilee were instructed well when it came to the teachings of God. What would happen to a young kid when he was five, six years old, boy or girl, is that their parents, being involved in synagogue, would go down and their kids would be enlisted with a rabbi, a teaching rabbi, not rabbi of of the synagogue, but one that would teach, and they would be introduced to what was called Bet Sefer, B-E-T-S-E-F-E-R. And Bet Sefer meant house of the book. So as a five, six-year-old little boy or little girl, they're down at the synagogue hanging out with this teaching rabbi, and they were going to be taught the Torah, which means the teaching or the instructions. They believed that these teachings had come from God to and through Moses, and they consist of Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so from the ages of five or six until about the age of 10, these kids would hang out with a rabbi, teaching rabbi, and they would write and read and study and meditate on the first five books of Torah. This was huge. They didn't have pad and pen, but what they used in that day was like an old slate. And so what the kids would do in that culture is when this rabbi was teaching Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these kids would write the sayings and the words of God on the slate. And so this is how they read it and wrote it and memorized it and started to ponder the words of God. Everybody with me? What the rabbi would do is the rabbi would take honey. Honey was the number one delicacy in that day. It was like the number one thing that people loved. If you got honey, it was an absolute treat and blessing. And honey was so good as far as the taste to the mouth and what it would do for the soul. And so it was not Snickers and M&Ms and all this stuff. That day, they, they said, honey is the greatest delicacy you can have. What teaching rabbi would do is he would take the honey and he would squirt honey on his finger And then he would rub the honey on the slate and he would look at the kids and say, taste, and they would taste the honey. And he would say, God's word is sweeter than honey. The number one delicacy that you want, that which you think is most delightful, that which just brings your taste buds alive, God's word is sweeter than honey. Even David would capture it in Psalm 119, 103 when he said, how sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey. He captures the same thing in Psalm 19 when he says the precepts of the Lord and the testimonies and statutes of the Lord. And he goes on to say, they're sweeter than honey. Your words are sweeter than honey. So so it's crazy to think that these kids, by the time they were 10 years old, would have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had the first five books, Torah, memorized. Is that not cool? Now you would say, man, maybe there's, those kids were just smarter than our kids today. Maybe those kids had a different style of of brilliance than our kids today. Our kids memorize stuff all the time. 
It might be lines out of Dumb and Dumber or Christmas Vacation, but they memorize stuff today. It might be the latest song from whoever that they memorize today, but they memorize stuff. And they memorized in that day the Torah. Now, Jesus grew up in this Galilean area being taught Bet Sefer. Then the kids that were really sharp could go to a, the next level of learning called Bet Midrash. Now, Bet Midrash was the house of, of deeper study, inquiring, and in seeking. Now, here's the interesting thing in that day. The little girls, once they graduated from Bet Sefer, went back home because the rabbi would say, go attend to your family's business. But only the best would be invited to Bet Midrash, and it was only the boys. That's the reason even later when people say, I can't believe Paul would write with such harshness toward the women on how they're to adorn themselves. And Peter would even comment on this. I can't, women were given dignity under the gospel for the very first time. It's crazy. But the best of the best of these little boys would be able to go to Bet Midrash. And while they were in Bet Midrash, this study and this seeking, this dialogue, this interaction, they would then learn Genesis through Malachi. And they would learn all 39 books of what we call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And by the time they're 15 years old, these kids had 39 books of the Old Testament memorized. Why? You've got to remember Jesus is growing up in this day. His public ministry has not started. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and the rest of the New Testament hasn't been written. All they had was the Old Covenant. And that's what they studied and memorized. Jesus is 12 years old. His family goes to Jerusalem for Passover. They're there to recognize and celebrate Passover, that event that God had established years way back with Moses. And while they're there, the family leaves. They get about a day out of town, and all of a sudden they recognize and realize, Jesus, where is he? They've left him back in Jerusalem. They can't find him. Three days later, they show up. He is in the synagogue. What is he doing? He's interacting, inquiring, seeking, debating and dialoguing with these rabbis. What age would he be? 12. Where would he have been? Bet Midrash. And when they come to him, they look at him and they say, son, Jesus, why did you do us this way? And he says, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? Didn't you know I would be doing that in my father's house that glorifies and honors him? I was in there studying and pondering. And, and it says that the rabbis and other adults looked at him and they were astonished and amazed at how much depth he had. You, you follow me? So this was the root system of Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, the best of the best of these boys would go into a place called Bet Talmud. The ones that were not the best of the best and the choice of the choice would be told by the rabbi, you're done. You don't have what it takes to be a Talmud, a disciple. Go tend your father's business. But then he would invite these into Bet Talmud. And Bet Talmud is where you were going to pledge your allegiance to follow Yeshua based on teaching today. And you were going to contemplate even deeper the scripture. 
and you were going to incorporate Scripture, and you were going to apply Scripture, and you were going to totally submit to the lordship and leadership of Jesus Christ in, his, in your life with his Scripture, and you would walk with him from about the time of 15 until about the time of 30. These guys would hang with Jesus, and when a rabbi would tell a, a student, students would come and say, Rabbi, can I follow you? Can I, can I come with you? Can I be your disciple? If the rabbi looked after drilling him and, and taking him through such scrutiny, if he believed that he could be like him and know what he knew and do what he did, he would say, follow me. And when he uses the word follow me or the phrase follow me, what he means is I believe in you and I believe you've got what it takes to be just like me. Oh, what a powerful statement that Jesus would come on the scene and look at the faces of these 400 people here on a Sunday morning in Loganville and say, I believe in you. I believe in you, Bobby. I believe in you, Rico. I believe in you, Chad. I believe in you, Derek. And he would go to every one of you and call your name, John. And he would call your name, Jeff. And he would call your name and say, Come follow me. I believe you can be like me. I believe you can do what I do. I believe you've got what it takes. Now, 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 this is very, very interesting. Rabbis in that day had their own interpretation of certain texts. We know based on study that based on Judaism and the law of that day, even when God had given Moses the law, he gives these 10 commands, these 10 protection statements to Moses. And by the time Jesus is born, many scholars believe there were about 613 commands that the people were forced to follow. That's a lot. Now, now rabbis had their own interpretation interpretation of certain texts and what they call that interpretation was the yoke of the rabbi they called it the yoke of the rabbi and the yoke of the rabbi was his interpretation so one rabbi may say uh, keeping the sabbath holy means this but then yet the yoke of another rabbi his interpretation and instruction well that would no no no, no. There, here's what keeping the sabbath means Remember, Jesus comes on the scene, Matthew pins it, where Rabbi Jesus at the age of 30, when he starts his public ministry, get to that, he comes on the scene and says, oh, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you, you've heard it said, but you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, even if you hate a person and call him a fool, You've heard it said that the law focused on the external behavior, but I'm coming looking at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that even if you look upon a woman with lustful intent, you've committed it because it's a heart issue. So Rabbi Jesus comes on the scene and he starts teaching a whole different way with his yoke. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus looks at the people and says, come to me, all of you who are tired and weary and heavy laden, come to me and find rest for your soul. 
Come to me and take my yoke upon you. Learn my yoke. Learn my sayings. Learn my instruction. Learn my yoke. Look what he says. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I came to transform hearts, not behavior. I came to see the core operational belief of what you really believe about God set free. Jesus comes with radical teaching. Now, now follow this. Follow this. The yoke of the rabbi was so powerful. And so when we study the words of Master Jesus and Rabbi Jesus, we see him bring in a new yoke that is not to tie you up and weigh you down and burden you any longer, but to set you free and liberate you so that you can enjoy God and worship God and walk with God. Now, the Talmuds in that day, they would hang with their rabbi from about the age of 15 until about the age of 30. And they would walk with a rabbi. And they would hang with a rabbi. And, 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 and they would walk so closely with the rabbi, there was a phrase that started in that day that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning you've spent so much time, you go where he goes, you eat what he eat, eats, you do what he does, and as you walk those dusty Palestinian and Galilean roads, dirt roads and dirt paths, and as the rabbi would walk, dust would fly up off his sandals, would you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So when we talk about following Jesus, this ain't Facebook. This ain't you send me a friend request and I hit accept and I read occasionally what you're saying. This is Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed one, coming on the scene saying, I believe in you. I believe you can do what I do. Jesus lived this system out. When he was 30 years old, most scholars believe he launched his public ministry. He had studied under a rabbi. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. The intent and heart of the law is about to be revealed. So at the age of 30, he goes down to the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew there. What were they doing? They were fishing. What does that imply? It implies that the rabbis of that day had overlooked at them and said, you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough to be a Talmud. And Yeshua looks at these boys, many believe they were 16, 17 years old, best, and says, Andrew, Simon, John, come follow me. And immediately they left their nets. There was a rabbi that believed in them. They, they knew that a rabbi believed they had what it took. They believed a rabbi believed that they had something inside of them worth redeeming. It changes the game. The world has overlooked some of you. You've been told you're not smart enough, you're too dumb, you're past, you're drug, you're alcohol, your sex problems of yesterday, you just don't matter. I got news. Rabbi Jesus says, I believe in you. You've got what it takes. You're worth redeeming. I love you. Now, the students of that day would have to approach a rabbi. 
I want to study with you. I want to be your Talmud. But Jesus didn't do it that way. Based on John 15, he looks at the disciples and says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I came after you. I pursued you. I've been pursuing you since I created the world. And God's been pursuing our hearts all along. Before the foundations of the world, God's intent was to pursue each and every one of us. And he comes and he says, you've got what it takes. You're worth redeeming. Your story matters. I want to do something in you and with you and through you for my name's sake. Maybe you've been labeled. Maybe you've been laughed at. Now it's time to live. Come walk in the dust of me. There's not a person in here that can be satisfied with saying, I accepted Christ after that. There's not a person in here that can be satisfied with saying, well, I know I'm a savior. No. The heart cry of every one of us should be, I declare the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life, and I desire to be a Talmud. Jesus would even tell his disciples after his death, burial, and resurrection, listen, all authority has been given to me. Go into all the world and get people to walk an aisle. Get people to fill out a card. Get people to accept me. No! Guys, go into all the world and make disciples. Those that will follow in the dust, go make disciples of all nations. And lo, I am with you even until the ends of the age. I'm with you. I'm for you. But don't go out and preach a message of easy believism. Don't go sell people goods that is not consistent with who I am. Because even Rabbi Jesus said, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. What keeps you from going all in? What keeps you from burning the ship and abandoning yesterday and saying, all in? I'm submitting Caleb to the lordship and leadership of Jesus Christ. I'm all in. He goes to a bunch of teenagers. My boy Benji, 20, Jesse, Nick, all these kids were here. Marshall, I see you. 15, 16 year old boys. And he goes to them. And those are the ragamuffins he used to turn a world upside down. He didn't go to the seminary. He went to the pool of rednecks in Loganville. Even it would be say in Acts chapter 4 regarding Peter and John, when they saw Peter and John, they recognized that they were uneducated, unlearned men. Whoop. 
But they took note because they had been with Jesus. Come on. What happened? We started walking in the dust of Yeshua. We pledged our allegiance to the Lamb. We decided that we were going all in. It was no more halfway. It was no more getting our toes wet. It was diving in and going in, plunging deep. Is that what you want? Anybody want to be a disciple in here today? Anybody want to walk in the dust of Yeshua HaMashiach, Rabbi Jesus? Anybody just want to pray a prayer and say, oh, yeah, I've accepted him? Does that mean you've been converted? Does that mean you're truly saved? Does that mean you truly know him? I would cause you to question that. Test yourself to see if you're really in the faith or not. Here's my prayer I wrote down. My prayer... My prayer is this. My prayer is that I would follow Jesus so closely and walk with him so intimately that people would be able to tell that we had spent a ton of time together. That people would see him in me and through me by the way I conduct myself and by the way I love those around me. Let me, let me, let me spin this. Let me spin it. My prayer for you is that you would follow Rabbi Jesus so closely and walk with him so intimately that the people would be able to tell that you're walking in the dust of the rabbi, that you've spent incredible amounts of intimate time together, and that people would be able to see in you the presence and the power and the perspective of the Holy Spirit and Christ alive by the way you conduct yourself and by the way you love those around you.